This podcast is brought to you by PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. PLI is committed to keeping you ever current on the dynamic trends shaping the legal world. Learn more at pli.edu slash ftpod. Welcome to Fast Tracked, Emergent Issues in the Legal Profession, brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute. I'm your host, Jen Leonard, founder of Creative Lawyers. Buckle up as we hit the gas and explore the most dynamic trends shaping the legal world, from generative AI to DE&I and everything in between. I hope you'll join us as we explore the future of law today. On today's episode, we hear from Alona Lagvanova, Managing Counsel and Head of Innovation for McKinsey Digital, and Darth Vaughn, Managing Director of Legal Ops Plus and Litigation Counsel for Ford Motor Company, about how generative AI is creating opportunities for innovation in the general counsel's office. I hope you enjoy this insightful discussion. Thank you for joining us. I am Jen Leonard, the host of Fast Tracked, Emergent Issues in the Legal Profession, where we explore all of the forces converging to drive change in an industry that is unaccustomed to change and grappling with how best to respond. We find ourselves at an era where many different things are happening around us, but probably one of the most interesting most unprecedented in some ways, and most fascinating for practitioners and for clients alike is the emergence of generative AI over the last year and a half or so. And as lawyers consider how generative AI will influence and impact their work, both substantively and from a practice perspective, I know many of our firm Audience members are really curious about what leaders on the in-house side are thinking about, what they're looking for from their outside counsel. And I know leaders inside of corporate legal departments are also wrestling with all of these questions about how generative AI will impact their team's work and also how they support the broader enterprise in integrating generative AI into its core business model. And so I can't think of two better people to help us understand the landscape here and help surface some of the things that all of our audience members should be thinking about than our two guests today. And I'm thrilled to welcome everybody to Darth Vaughn and Alona Lagvanova. These are two superstars from the general counsel's office, and I'm thrilled to welcome them today. Thank you for being on the podcast, Darth and Alona. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Jen. So exciting to be here. Let's start at the beginning. I know you all are immersed every single day in thinking about these issues. You talk and speak frequently about them. But for many people, I think one of the challenges of generative AI is this sort of jagged frontier of understanding the capabilities and also level setting for everybody else so that we're learning together at the same pace. So I want to step back for a minute and just ask, and I'm going to start with you, Darth, and then turn to Alona to explain for the audience what even makes generative AI different from the technology and the artificial intelligence that we've been living with for some time now. So, I mean, generative AI, it's capable of kind of creating new content, such as images, text, audio, that is similar to some extent to the data that it's been trained on. Traditional machine learning has been kind of a broader field where it had you know techniques that were using algorithms that were trained off of data, and they're trained to make accurate predictions. 
and recognize patterns. So to me, like generative AI is a subset of machine learning and kind of the next step. So the way I like to think about it is that the technology is finally caught up with the words. Uh, in traditional machine learning, we had to uh, train these models using a ton of data. And the process of extracting, cleaning, and structuring data so that you could train these models was a, a huge obstacle. And in, to some extent, maybe not necessarily worth the ROI on doing it. And in any organization, only about 10 to 20% of your data is already structured. So what we have now is kind of the ability to some extent to skip that step and go directly to a platform that can help you generate content kind of at the touch of a button. So for me, it's just an evolution of where we've been. I mean, if you would have asked me three years ago, I thought we were 10 years away from this moment. We're speeding up relatively quickly and there are new innovations every day. But at the end of the day, in my mind, it's still a tool to be used by people that have subject matter expertise and domain knowledge, and it will continue to get better and faster. I'm just going to pause here too, Darth, just to stop on the word structured. So when you talk about structured data, what comes to mind for me are, you know, all these years where we had people who were experts in entering data into fields. Is that what you mean by that? Is organizing things into subjects and categories? Correct. So unstructured data to us is just text. So if you get a case evaluation, a narrative about what happened in a particular matter, that's unstructured data. It requires us to read it, to understand it, to put it into context. In order to structure that data, you have to pull out your important data points out of that unstructured data and do exactly what you're talking about. Put it into some type of relational database. And if you've ever had to go through one of those projects where you had to do that at a large scale, it's laborious, time-consuming, and takes a tremendous amount of effort. And in order to train traditional machine learning models, you'd have to run a ton of this data through them so that it could pick up patterns over time. Now with generative AI, I think the unstructured data problem, the narrative problem is no longer the obstacle it once was. So not only are we able to produce more at the touch of a button, we're also able to utilize this technology to go in and augment our traditional machine learning models that we had in the past. So really it's, you know, putting those traditional machine learning models in a position where they can perform better for you and giving you new capabilities and the generative capacity. Great. So we've sort of hit the accelerator and leapfrogged over these challenges that for so long have been holding us back from fully leveraging artificial intelligence. And Alona, I'm curious, you're speaking a lot, you're thinking a lot about these issues at McKinsey. What do you think that the sort of on-the-ground practitioner might not know about generative AI or how it's different from technology that we've seen in the past? What are the hallmarks of it that make it so fascinating to us? Yeah, so I love this question. I like to think about AI, and the way that I like to talk about AI is really thinking about people, right, in a human-centric way, and not thinking about it as just a machine or a, a code base or something like that, because it's really what the moment that we're in right now and why I think generative AI is so unique and so interesting and really fascinating is because we're essentially working to approximate human consciousness. That's the exercise at hand, right? That's what OpenAI is trying to do. That's what a lot of, you know, the LLM providers and the tech companies out there are really trying to do. And if you're a science fiction fan, you might have read about the singularity, right? Ray Kurzweil's concept from a while back, thinking about when humans and machines will merge into one. 
And that's the point that we're in right now. You know, we're really trying to hit that mark. And the difference between where we were with more traditional AI versus where we are right now is that AI used to be what we would call narrow intelligence. It was task-driven. It was specific. It was fit for purpose, right? For one specific purpose, it would answer one specific question. What we're seeing right now is that we're approaching general intelligence, artificial general intelligence, also called AGI, right? And that's where it can AI can do a number of different things and pull in a number of different variables into its reasoning to arrive at an answer. And that's really much more, that's much closer to how humans think, right? To human consciousness. We're not fully there. And the setback right now with with AI from reaching true AGI is multi-step reasoning. So that's why mathematics is the token use case and problem statement for why AI can't do what we do. AI is actually not good at math, which is really interesting, but math is representative of a larger set of setbacks right now from approaching human reasoning. But if you think about what it what that means, right? It's if you more traditional AI, narrow AI is telling a child to go get a pen, right? That child will go and it'll, you know, a little baby toddler will make its way towards an, a pen, you know, and it'll pick up the pen and it'll come right back to you. Artificial general intelligence, I like to think of it as a more grown-up child, right? Maybe a six or seven-year-old. I have an eight-year-old, right? I like to use her as an example. If I ask her to go get a pen, she'll look at that pen from across the room, but she'll also see everything else in her space, right? Maybe her playroom is messy. It usually is. <laughs> but maybe, you know, she has a drawing on the wall that she looks at. And maybe she thinks, oh, you know what? I don't actually need a pen. Maybe I can use a pencil instead. Or maybe I can use a colored pencil. Or maybe I can use, you know, a colored pen or something that erases. There will be more variables in the reasoning that she uses to go towards her answer. But not only that, she might also generate creative insights when she gets towards that answer. And that, I think, is the beauty and the opportunity and really the colossal momentum of AI right now and where we are, because it can use creative reasoning. It can use generative insights to get you output that you might not expect. And that's why we see AI being used in all of these different ways and AI being a creative strategist across industries, across use cases, and not really picking up speed. So I don't actually remember what the original question was. I think I might have went off center a bit. But to me, that's really what's so exciting about where we are with generative AI and everything that's happening in our field right now. I, I also think what's exciting about this time is this is kind of the first time it's been democratized the way it's currently available. I mean, you have a user base that is tremendous. And given the volume of individuals that are working with this technology, the you know exponential increase in the technology's capabilities are growing in accord. So it's not just that the technology you know, has, is doing amazing things, it's that there are more and more people utilizing this technology. And that increases the velocity at which not only is it being onboarded, but its capabilities are increasing. And I'm going to pull together one thing that each of you said, the piece that Alona mentioned about the the architecture and the training models replicating the human mind in the way that the technology learns. And Darth, your point about the sort of open nature of experimentation and a worldwide effort to accelerate and learn and apply this in different contexts, both of those things make it both more complex and capable of doing things we haven't even imagined yet. 
and also extremely unpredictable. (laughs) Human beings are unpredictable by our very nature. And then the idea that you have millions of humans trying to figure out this technology and growing it together all at once creates huge unpredictability. And I see this happening in these conversations where we'll sort of develop a black letter rule for the technology. You know, a year ago it was, well, it's really interesting, but it can't be creative in the way that a human can be. And now we see, I use it constantly as an ideation partner. It's incredibly creative. But how do we help people not get stuck because they go to one presentation and hear something that's true in that moment? And then two weeks later, that's no longer the case because everything's advanced so quickly. What is the learning experience like and how can we support lawyers who are busy doing all these different things all day in learning in real time about something that's almost elusive in terms of its capability? I'll start with you, Darth, and then go back to Alona. I mean, I think you said the word that the learning environment is constant. So whereas, you know, the half-life of a learned skill used to be X amount of years, it's coming down to days or weeks, right, in terms of this area. Not only do we have to inform ourselves, we need to be familiar enough with the tool itself so that we understand its capabilities. So one, learning constant. Two, I I think you need to, I call it time on the field. You need to have enough time on the field so that you understand not only the capabilities, but its limitations. And then you have real-time feedback in terms of what is possible, what is risky, and how it can best be applied to whatever your practice area is. What do you think? I mean, I think one of the coolest things about this, the thing that excites me most, and I'm not a technologist, and it's sort of interesting that (laughs) this is the area that I'm spending all my time, is that if you like to learn, this is the era for learning. And there are very few experts, especially in the legal domain for now. And so, Alona, how are you keeping up to speed with such a rapidly changing landscape? Yeah. And I'll go back to my human-centric example. You know, I think the best way to get to know someone is to just have a conversation with them. And I don't think it's any different with technology. I think the more that you can just engage and get to know what what you're engaging with and understand it and understand, you know, what the leading benefits and the leading drawbacks are, that's really the best place to start. And so just engage, get started somewhere. And I think, you know, for anyone who's hesitating on using ChatGPT or isn't sure how to use it or isn't sure how to use any of these tools or any of the more specific legal technologies, I just think there's no better way than to click, right? Click and type and see what comes up. And just remember, too, that we haven't, we weren't used to using Google some time ago, right? Sometime not too long ago. And now most of us can't imagine what daily life would be like without Google or something where we can just look something up all the time. And the way that, you know, I'm very nerdy about this stuff. I love to read about it. I love to engage with it. I'm constantly reading the latest on tech trends. I read a lot of MIT Technology Review, Fortune, Wired has really great content. I read a lot of LinkedIn. I really you know, I'm very intentional about curating my own LinkedIn content and figuring out who I read. You both are fantastic to follow. Highly recommend you both to our listeners. And I just, I think, you know, understanding what's out there and it's changing every single day at this point. And the exercise is really, it's just knowing what's out there and then thinking about it. Really just generative AI, right? We're generating our own insights and understanding the landscape of how 
this is all unfolding and what it all means. And I think there's no answer. It's just really about structuring the questions and thinking critically about how it might apply to really everything that we're seeing in front of us right now. I, I will say, I mean, so I think that's the individual approach, but from an organizational perspective, I've got to, I'm generating a different mindset. And it is, we have individuals that are a growth mindset that want to learn that are on the bleeding edge of things. And they're not hard to get excited about this. And then you have individuals who are quite secure in how they've done things for a you know a period of time and aren't necessarily interested in being first to adopt new things. I think leadership is uh, critically important in terms of setting an expectation that an organization is engaged as a whole in getting their hands dirty, excuse the pun, with this technology and uh, adopting it in ways that can drive productivity. I used to believe that if you built it and it was well built and the, the benefits were readily apparent, people would flock to it. I no longer believe that that's the approach. I believe you have to do that. You have to build it so that they will come, but then you need leadership to engage and push for the kind of momentum or the adoption of these tools and technologies. I think that's absolutely right, Darth. You said it so well. And I think it's about leadership. It's about there's an evangelism component to it, right? People need to be inspired to start engaging with it. There needs to be a strategy in place and there needs to be learning and development that's really thought about. So on an organizational level, I think this is the task at hand for law firms and for corporate legal departments. It's how do you upskill lawyers? And Jen, you do a phenomenal job of this, right? Expanding the lawyer's toolkit and really setting us up for the next generation of lawyering and the reimagination of our profession and the what's next. But this has to be an intentional exercise if we're going to engage with technology. We need to understand how to prompt engineer. I think design thinking is enormously helpful because it's just, it's an exercise in the expansion of our problem solving toolkit as lawyers. And I do think that design thinking really critically enhances our ability to prompt engineer because you're thinking about how to structure questions. And that's really the exercise with prompt engineering. You're structuring questions in the right way to get the right sort of output. So all of this kind of learning and upskilling and development of lawyers, junior associates, more senior associates, more senior lawyers, that's really the task at hand right now, I think, on an organizational level. Darth, you, you said it so well. Yeah. And one, one of the things, you know, I, I taught, co-taught a class last semester with the Honorable Bridget McCormick on generative technologies. Darth was kind enough to come to our class and talk about these issues in the GC's office. And one of the things that I have found helpful, I don't know if it's the quote unquote right answer, is we sort of were constrained and constraints drive innovation, right? We didn't yet have licenses for our students to use legal domain specific generative AI which I think was a gift because instead we had them think outside of the context of the legal domain. And for me, that's been really helpful. I suspect for a lot of lawyers, that would be a helpful place to start because when you think about your legal work, you do think about it in a particular way and it does feel high stakes, right? So everything needs to be precise and otherwise you're going to think that this is a valueless tool. But if you start playing around with it in your everyday life and you use platforms that are free and open and accessible, I think that's a way you start to stimulate some of that creativity that allows you to connect dots to what you're doing in practice. And I'd love to, to just stay on the actual tech for a minute before we jump into the GC's office and talk about, you mentioned some of the limitations of the technology, and there are certainly limitations. 
And I think my experience is that most lawyers read the ChatGPT New York Times article last year that set us back <laughs> in the historical timeline of generative AI by like two weeks, which is an eon <laughs> in this topic. And still lawyers will say to me, well, that one lawyer submitted a brief with fake sites, so this technology is not good. Or alone, it's your point. It sometimes it makes errors in math and people think, well, my calculator can do this and this allegedly transformative technology can't do it. And that's because it's a language model. But when it starts performing basic math, we know it has leaped in its capabilities by doing that multi-step thinking. So how do we both understand that there are limitations that we need to oversee and be conscious of while also helping people understand that the tech today is the worst version of this technology we will know, and it will learn quickly and improve. And it's sort of the same question I asked before, but specifically about the limitations. How do we bring people along and help them see the capacity? My students in particular are the most skeptical of this. I think they grew up with such slick technology that when it doesn't work perfectly the first time, They're like, my iPhone can do a better job on something like this. This doesn't seem all that impressive. So what do you, and again, I'll start with Darth, but, you know, what do you think about helping lawyers understand the current limitations while understanding that those limitations will probably be solved over time? I mean, I kind of laugh at this because lawyers are, on the one hand, they're afraid that this technology is going to somehow invade what they do and take over what they do. And then on the other hand, they're like, why isn't it working perfectly? And why doesn't it do everything I need it to do? I think, again, being familiar with the technology, having spent time with it, understanding that you need to research your tool and the tools that you're using in your trade, understand the risks and benefits from it, right? We all hear about the hallucinations. That's great. You continue to read and educate yourself. You'll figure out that that's been solved in some ways through retrieval augmented generation. But I wouldn't go to ChatGPT and ask it to bear brief for me because that is not the purpose of that tool, right? It's, it's a different tool that you're seeking. So use the correct tool for the activity that you're engaged in. I think this is to be expected with emerging technologies that people are a little bit afraid. So they find the negative aspects of them to kind of harp on. But when we look at like the horror stories, they're not really about the technology. They're about the way people applied it. So that's, you know, the New York issue wasn't a limitation of the technology. We like to compare it to uh, I'm not a cat, the lawyer that appeared in court and couldn't get the cat filter off of the Zoom call. Zoom wasn't blamed for that, right? That's a lawyer that didn't know how to use Zoom the same way that the lawyer in New York didn't know how to use ChatGPT or understand that it could hallucinate. So, you know, that comes down to you as an individual practitioner and your duty of technological competency, not necessarily the technology that you're using. Yeah. I agree with all of that. And I'll just go back to, you know, to humanity. Humans are fallible, right? We're not perfect. We all make mistakes. We learn. Technology is also fallible. Technology learns. There's a reason we call it training data. It's because it is training AI to do X or Y or Z, right? And the and AI is getting better. And that's why I think thinking through, you know, Seeing AI not as a finished tool, but as an iterative tool, as a strategist, as something that's a co-pilot that's sitting there, you know, in just like everything that lives and, you know, exists in the world, it evolves. And I think understanding that there's an evolution to it is really important. I've heard the question around AI, is it 
a revolution or is it an evolution, right? Is Gen AI sort of revolutionary or evolutionary? And I think it's definitely the latter. I think it is meant to evolve. That is how we've set it up. We as humans are meant to evolve. We're all learning. We're all growing. Growth mindset is tremendous. And so let's see it that way. And if we treat it that way, then the training data will only get better, right? It'll get more iterative and we'll get better with the questions that we ask. And we ourselves will get smarter as we're making the machines, you know, more fit for purpose for what we're looking for. So this has all been really helpful levels, level setting. Thank you so much for, for exploring it with me. And I'd love to think about and zoom in on the general counsel's office. So we've talked about humans. Now we're talking about organizations full of humans, fallible, unpredictable, different psychologies in each one of us. But it seems to me that when you think about the legal services market on the corporate side, you've got the general counsel's office on the one hand and law firms on the other. And law firms are unique animals in their own right. And they are populated with lawyers, really focused on legal services exclusively. So they're thinking about how all this impacts their work. On the GC side, you are supporting a broader organization that is grappling both with how generative AI will impact its core businesses and also, in some cases, how the organization is serving its clients and customers as they adapt to generative AI. And Alona, I'm going to start with you because you uh, work in an organization that is one of the most preeminent consulting firms in the world and you know, centrally is thinking about how it supports its many corporate clients in grappling with this technology. So with that distinction in mind, how is the core enterprise influencing the GC's office in its adoption and use of generative AI in ways that might be different from the way law firms are adopting and thinking about generative AI? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and it's one that I spend quite a bit of time thinking about. And the way that I think there's there are similarities and there are differences, but the one similarity that I think is really important, especially for in-house lawyers right now, you know, there's a lot of talk around will AI replace lawyers? And you, this perspective is not original to me, but I think it resonates nicely. It's not that AI, AI won't replace lawyers, but lawyers who are effectively using AI will replace lawyers who aren't. And I think that's really true. I think it's also really important to keep in mind, especially on the in-house side, that there is a pacing question that we really need to consider, right? The business side al already is, in some instances, or will increasingly use more and more generative AI or assistive technologies to do their work. And so as in-house lawyers, that means that if an, a contract can be automated, if an SOW can be automated to some extent or done faster, right, or a PowerPoint presentation that we need to review, that means that it's going to come our way that much faster. And we are already, you know, really busy doing our everyday work. And so if we want to make sure that we're keeping pace with the business, with our business clients, then we need to level up and we need to level up by also using those same technologies. And so I think one can inform the other. And the analysis is pretty similar for law firms. I think law firms will also start seeing their clients use more and more automation to augment, accelerate and empower their workflows. And the work will probably come at them that much faster. And so the question is, how will they keep pace? And how will they, you know, increase or shorten the turnaround times on already, you know, very quick timelines? I think that's a trend that's really important to keep in mind. And Dorothy, you, you work for a very different company, but also a company that's thinking about generative AI and all these technologies into its core products as well, I'm sure. So... So how is your department responding and being influenced by Ford Motor Company's 
you know, general core business? I mean, I think Alona nailed it. I, we're not worried about the work going away. There's going to be an explosion of work and not just for in-house attorneys, but for outside firms as well. As businesses start to use this technology to generate more and more of whatever their organizational purpose is centered around, the speed at which uh, you're going to be fielding either illegal inquiries, questions, dealing with issues that arise, is just increasing, the pipeline's increasing as well. So, I mean, I don't want to say it's a bit of an arms race, but you're going to have to essentially run into a productivity issue or a bottleneck if you can't utilize the same technology that your clients are utilizing in order to service them effectively. I, I will say, you know, we, you know, we've been using artificial intelligence in earnest at least since 2018. We've been in generative AI for well over a year. The ability to stay slightly ahead of the curve allows us to adapt internally. And I just think it's really important that legal professionals are getting familiar with this now because if your attitude is, I'm going to wait and see, and I'm not saying you need to fully invest or go all in, but if I'm not going to inform myself for a year or two because I want to see what's going on, you're going to be so far behind that I really question whether or not you're going to be able to keep up. So I think for in-house corporate departments, this needs to be a very serious part of their roadmap and they need to be familiarizing themselves now. At least they will find themselves potentially obsolete as the technology evolves. That's super helpful. And I think what you're both leading me into thinking about, which is something I love anyway, is learning and professional development for lawyers. And this is an area where I think in law firms, you know, the, there's been a growth in professional development support, but there needs to be much more, particularly as their sort of junior associate experience changes because of this technology. On the in-house side, I would imagine there's even more pressure to build the case historically because the law department can be viewed as a cost center without the right storytelling techniques and persuasive pitch from the GC's office. So in the midst of all of this work, all this volume and this struggle to keep pace with the core legal work that you're doing, how can the GC's office make the case to the central enterprise that it really needs additional resources for investment in upskilling its lawyers on these particular topics so that in the long term, it can generate more return on investment to do the things that you're both talking about. Darth, maybe I'll start with you on this one and go back to Alona. Yeah, well, I mean, you hit it, uh, storytelling. How do you tell the story in a way that resonates with your management and executives in order to give you the resources you need to effectively protect, advance, and defend the organization. For us, it's, you know, we track very closely what the ROI is on just about any technology that we bring in-house or utilizing. So we are able to show directly through financial estimates, potentially what the impact is going to be. And we make our case starting there and then moving towards other metrics that also affect the organization, such as the quality of life of the individuals that are working for the organization. The ability to take repetitive, tedious tasks off of people's plates and move them to a higher and better use of their professional skill is attractive. It helps retain talent. It helps acquire talent and it helps the organization. So it's not just about numbers. It's about quality, but it's a holistic story that we try to tell. Yeah. And that, that talent retention piece, I think, has 
really come to the fore during the pandemic, certainly when people started moving around, you know, for various reasons. But it seems to me, we know that the cost of replacing an attorney is enormous, both financially and from a time perspective. But it seems to me that right now you want to retain your talent even more than ever because of all the pacing issues that Alona talked about earlier. And Alona, you are supporting an organization that is known for its professional development and leadership training and teaching and learning environment. So how would you think about this from the GC's perspective of making the case to not necessarily at McKinsey, but in other corporations, expand the learning and training for lawyers? The way that I like to, and this was a real question over the course of the past year, and it took some thinking from a strategy perspective, right, in terms of our innovation agenda and our innovation transformation journey. But I think it's important to understand that this is learning and upskilling that needs to happen that is technology agnostic. I'm very careful when I talk about this internally, right, to talk about prompt engineering as general learning, as general upskilling, right, or design thinking, rather than training. I think the word training sets off alarm bells and we think about tools, we think about technology, we think about a general aversion to things like training, right? No one wants to do it. We sort of just want to tick the box and get it done with. But this is an expansion of our toolkit as lawyers. This is developmental. This is necessary, right? It's a core part of how we do our work in a better way and how we focus on client centricity. That's a big theme for us in our innovation agenda. And I think that's really important. And to lean into that, we really have to learn and grow and develop. And to do that, we have to learn skills that are you know, really important from the perspective of what are the tools that we're using? How are we delivering our workflows? And how is it that we're improving what we're doing every day? And so framing it in that way, coupled with the storytelling exercise, I've found some success doing that. And I think that can be pretty impactful. You know, I love that the design thinker in me loves the client centricity. And you all are thinking about the clients that you support internally. And of course, you have dual roles and you are also clients of your outside counsel. And so I'd love to shift and think about how your outside counsel and the relationship with them is changing in this environment. And it sounds to me like the great news for law firms is the volume is not going away. The volume is very likely to increase in part because of the pacing that Darth mentioned and the rapidity with which the work is coming into the GC's office. What about the nature of the work itself? What kinds of issues might outside counsel expect to be hearing about that might be new or an expansion of what they've been focused on before? And Alona, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think prompt engineering is a big one, but it's not just about prompt engineering. It's about thinking about how we work alongside technologies in a way that leverages the strength of technology while we figure out how to free up our own time and do more with more time. Right. The question is, you know, will everything be automated away? Will we have that much more free time as lawyers? To Darth's point, no, (laughs) that's really not that's not where we're headed. Right. We're about to get a lot more work coming our way. But I do think that there is a there is an automation time savings that we will find if we get it right. And the question is, what do we do with that time savings? And so the learning, the upskilling, it's also about delivery methods. How do we improve how we deliver our work, right? How do we improve on the memo that no one wants to read and the memo format? 
how do we think about data visualization as you know a way of delivering information or developing novel ways to deliver information to clients, whether they're internal business clients or external clients for law firms, in a new, innovative, and engaging way? I think I believe very strongly that we should always meet people where they're at. And I think we have to be realistic and ask ourselves why people love, you know, X, formerly Twitter or Instagram or any of these social or TikTok, right? Social media sites where it's really about visualization and you don't have to read much more than 200 characters. There's a reason we like that. It's because our attention span and the time real estate for our attention is so short and we like to move around. So why are we still producing massively long-form documents as lawyers in our profession? It just doesn't make sense. I think novel delivery methods is one area where there is so much learning and innovation potential, and we should tap into that using higher value judgment enabled by Gen AI as creative strategists. And there's just so much opportunity there. For me, I mean, I think the, well, look, we're early on in this journey, right? We are, have been engaged in it what seems like a long time, but the industry is early on in its journey here. So I don't know that it's fair to have an expectation right now of our outside counsel or our law firms with respect to technology. What we have done is asked them and surveyed uh, because we're interested to see who's doing what. That being said, I can foresee a day where the value proposition does change, right? And we spend a lot of time on what we consider to be kind of low-end work, but it's necessary because, you know, judges want briefs and we need memos. But for the enterprise as a whole, that's not really high-value work. Um, and a lot of that's captured kind of in the production of content, which we pay a lot for, right? But uh, our what we really want from our outside counsel is like advocacy and counsel, uh, helping us see around corners, anticipate certain issues. We want outside counsel to have great relationships that can allow us to either get an insight or create a connection. So I just think the value proposition is going to change and shift towards kind of what I think are the higher end, more valuable tasks that lawyers were doing and shift somewhat away from the production of content. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think lawyers wanted to spend all their time just producing this kind of content for organizations like my own. I think they want to be problem solvers. So I think with this technology, we're going to probably elevate, or at least my hope is that we're going to elevate legal professionals to their highest and best use, which is that of as a problem solver, not just necessarily, you know, banging out discovery responses or responding to particular letters. It's really thinking strategically about how we are going to work with whatever this legal issue is and provide the best advice and counsel to our clients. As somebody who can still recite by memory the answers to interrogatories and requests for admission from 20 years ago, that sounds amazing to me and exciting for future lawyers. At the same time, it sounds troubling from the business model perspective of a law firm. And it's a little bit of an unfair question because these are organizations you're not currently in. But if you were in a law firm or if you were talking with your outside counsel, how would you be encouraging them to think about this business model that is based on time alone, primarily, and six-minute increments and the production of documents, as both of you talked about, memos or briefs, and figuring out how to build the kind of content that Alona's referencing, inspired from other places, while trying to figure out how to continue being profitable in a business model that's worked for a really long time? And so I guess the question is, what would you be doing as a law firm leader right now to get your arms around a rapidly shifting business model? And maybe, Alona, I'm going to start with you. 
Yeah, I, this is a really interesting question because I think law firms need to respond to this more imminently in a number of ways. I think it's about defining value capture. I think law firms need to figure out what their value is and define it. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk right now around the death of the billable hour. Is it, you know, is it the end of an era? And I think we all probably understand to some extent the answer is no. That's a question that's been there for some time. But I do think that it's not as simple as that. I think law firms will have to say what it is that they do well and why they do it and what their value proposition is in the midst of understanding that this is an industry in the professional services space and there are others where a lot of it, it lends itself to automation. And that's actually a really good thing for us. That is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to say, hey, we can use much more of our expert judgment, you know, in a better way, but we can also do X, Y, Z, right? Maybe there are other parts of the business model that are untapped for law firms, right? Maybe data is a place to look and to look at, you know, more thoughtfully in terms of service, in terms of what they can provide as a service. I think there are just, there are a number of ways that law firms can be thinking about this right now. And learning, development, upskilling, adoption of legal technologies tailored to their use cases, setting a strategy around it, thinking about value capture in terms of what it means for them to provide value for their clients and what that looks like, right? Alternative fee arrangements. All of that, I think, should be front and center in front of law firms right now in terms of their strategy and how they're thinking about 2024 and 2025 and beyond. I mean, I think that was a perfect assessment. I would I'd like to say you're sitting on a gold mine of actionable business intelligence in your data that you've never had access to before. So there's potential revenue streams there. The second thing is you need to start thinking about how you scale differently. The vast majority of civil legal need goes unmet in our country. There are a bunch of clients out there that you could never get to before because you were limited by the time issue. And now that time is less of a factor, you have the ability to penetrate those markets much more deeply and get more volume and scale. And then finally, and this is what I'm interested to see, start thinking about how you're going to evaluate your internal talent based on factors other than time, meaning what value are they really bringing and providing to clientele other than the 0.6 or the 0.1, you know, really start thinking, okay, how are we going to reevaluate our internal legal professionals? so that we can articulate that value proposition that Alona spoke about. Yeah, like both of you, I mean, I think we're similarly minded in the sense that we all see enormous opportunity here for firms. One of the things that most excites me is this idea that we could co-design the future and that firms can be an active partner with their GCs and helping them navigate this. When I talk with law firm partners, my sense is that they are a population of people who are accustomed to being expert guides for their clients. And this is very uncomfortable for them because they're not experts. None of us is an expert at this point in what the future looks like. But Darth, you referenced Ford sending out surveys to its outside counsel. I've been advocating to law firm partners that they do the reverse, which is reach out to their clients and say, look, we're all learning about this. Let's do it together. Let's figure out what this looks like for you. Is that what your office wants to hear? And what would that conversation sound like to you in a way that reflects professionalism and vulnerability and humility, but also strengthens the relationship? Darth. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We're always interested in whatever cutting edge things our outside counsel are doing. And it was interesting when we sent the survey out, getting some very great responses back, but also saying like, why did you never tell us about this? This was 
I would have liked to have worked with you on this particular mm. endeavor that you uh, have just informed us about. So one, I think it's great business development. Two, it also gives you a touch point to see what your client's appetite is for this area, right? Like you may have clients that are less enthusiastic about you potentially using this technology on their matters. You should know that. You may have clients that have data concerns, security concerns. You should know what those are. So I think broaching the conversation up front not only gives you great visibility, but it also gives you information that's critical for servicing your client. And Alona, what would you want to hear from outside counsel in this regard? How can they position themselves well with respect to their clients? I would want to hear that they're thinking critically and thoughtfully and intentionally about how they're applying legal technologies. I think it's not just about automating and accelerating workflows, but I think it's about data accuracy and data capture. You can just capture a wider amount of data off the bat with automation than you can with the human eye. That's just, that's baseline. And so making sure that they're using whatever's available to them and employing it thoughtfully, that's what I'm looking for. And it's really just about using the best tools in your tool belt. It's fantastic. I, I, like both of you, I just see such enormous opportunity on all sides here for those who are willing to engage in the conversation. And you've shared so much around the technology, around how it's impacting your work, around how it's impacting the relationship with your firms. And I imagine there's some people from the in-house counsel's office listening who are at the cutting edge, like both of you. I also imagine there are some people whose departments haven't even thought about this yet or haven't you know, had the time to get their arms around it. If you were in a GC's office that has not yet considered generative AI, and this will be our closing question, what would your recommendation be for a first step, like a very first part of the roadmap and the journey into starting to think about these things proactively? Alona? Yeah, I would say identify a leader within the organization who can really address it. And I give tremendous credit to our general counsel, Pierre, who he's really a visionary and he believes in professionalism and purpose and finding a better way to do what we do and to be who we are as people and as professionals and constantly driving towards that. And he really saw an opportunity in the innovation space and gave me and others across the department an opportunity to step into innovation or legal technology roles and really lean into this. And I think once you have that, once you have people who are passionate about this, who are able to drive an agenda, architect a structure, and really, you know, drive the buy-in and the interest across the organization and find the right tools and find the right learning opportunities, that's really where it starts. And that's really where the momentum builds. Amazing. Same question to you, Darth. I mean, I agree with Alona. Like, we've got strong leadership. Our chief policy officer and general counsel, Steve Crowley, has, you know, essentially created an environment where we have momentum behind us, which makes onboarding much easier. At an individual level, if you're at an organization that may not have access to these resources, I think it's incumbent upon you, one, to educate yourself. There's a ton of information out there that is free and readily available. And then, two, Familiarize yourself with the technology. Get your hands dirty. Get a ChatGPT account. Don't take your client's information and drop it in there or any confidential information, but understand how it works. See what its limitations are. And with that, you'll become familiar with how to utilize the technology and the tool. And then that will get you thinking in different ways about potentially how your organization can adopt and acquire and potentially use it to boost your productivity and serve your client's needs. Yeah, completely agree. And I think leadership and learning are the two key words for this era. And I also think there's huge opportunity, again, for people who are more junior in the organization to raise their hand and say, I'm really curious about this, would love to 
learn about it and share with the department. I think it also will give them <laughs> a, a strong sense of whether the department is prepared for the future, you know, how much they're embracing those ideas as well. Well, I learn just an incredible amount every time I talk to one of you at a time. So getting to talk to both of you in the same conversation has been just a delight. I'm excited to continue exploring all of this with both of you into the future. I know our audience is grateful for your time and your expertise. And I want to thank everybody for joining our conversation today with Darth Vaughn and Alona Lagvanova. Thank you so much, Jen. And thank you, Darth. Such a pleasure. Thank you both. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on Fast Tracked. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation as much as I did. Visit pli.edu for more insights, education, and resources for navigating this dynamic landscape. And until next time, stay curious and stay adaptable as we work together to chart a course into an exciting future.